Hey everybody, this is Keith. Thinking today about the political compass. Most of us put ourselves on either the left or the right. The left is generally in favor of unions and workers' rights and a more collectivist-style economic structure, and the right is more for free markets and uh, capitalist economies. And that doesn't describe very much in the world of, world of politics, unfortunately. So I find the left and the right very unhelpful in modern discussions. And I want to stop identifying as on the left. And I actually call myself more of a centrist nowadays, but that's not true, actually. I'm actually firmly on the left, but I'm also firmly libertarian. And this adds another dimension to a political compass. It, it adds a top-down y-axis, um, top-bottom y-axis, from authoritarian on the top to libertarian on the bottom. And I'm going to take a political compass test, politicalcompass.org slash test, and talk through all these questions with you to demonstrate how I think politically on a myriad of topics. Now, many of these will be left-right, but also many will be in terms of authority and liberty. And if I'm honest, I actually value my sense of liberty nowadays more than my sense of leftism. But I still do value both. I still love the candidacy of Bernie Sanders because he was so far on the left and he was less authoritative about it. He was still in favor of systems that would by very nature be an authority like a universal healthcare system or um, absolving student debt. These would be authoritarian moves and measures, but they don't have that authoritarian principle to them in the same way that Joseph Stalin or Mao would have, if you can understand that. And in today's day and age with COVID, uh, with social justice warriors and activism, there is just so much authoritarianism that I actually object to that actually disturbs me that i i push back against it and i'm often claimed to be like a trump supporter or on the right alt rights or something like this just because i object to those policies and i'm going to take this test out loud to demonstrate how i'm not at all on the right or authoritarian in any way and i, I wear this libertarian left badge on my sleeve somewhat um uh, laughably because it is the most mocked identity online on the subreddit political compass memes this uh, green square that i exist in is ridiculed for being dorky and dreamy and silly and all the rest but nonetheless i am a libertarian leftist and i want to explain why so let's get into this quiz uh, i'll read you the intro here. Before taking the test, please note that this isn't a survey and these aren't questions. They're propositions. To question the logic of individual ones that irritate you is to miss the point. Some propositions are extreme and some are moderate. That's how we can show you whether you lean towards extremism or moderation on the compass. Your responses should not be overthought. Some of them are intentionally vague. Their purpose is to trigger reactions in the mind, measuring feelings and prejudices rather than detailed opinions on policy. Okay, good. So I'm going to try and limit my 
digressions into each policy discussion, which I'm often tempted to do, and go through this as quickly as possible, which for me isn't that fast, but let's see. All right, page one of six, just a few propositions to start with concerning no less how you see the country and the world. Okay. If economic globalization is inevitable, it should primarily serve humanity rather than the interests of transnational corporations. I strongly agree. I would always support my country, whether it was right or wrong. I disagree. Do I strongly disagree? Uh, Yeah, I think I'll strongly disagree. I mean, I've left my country. I live in a different one. I stand against it for all sorts of reasons. No one chooses their country of birth, so it's foolish to be proud of it. Well, I got into this conversation recently with some friends. Um, I do agree. I don't too strongly disagree, or sorry, too strongly agree. I think it's okay to be proud of where you come from. Now, is that your country? Is that your neighborhood? Is it your friend group? Is it your parents? I don't I don't know how people, uh, I don't know what it means to come from somewhere and be proud of it exactly, but I think it's important and okay to really identify with that sense of belonging and also to recognize the good things that the place you've come from has done, even if, you know, you didn't do it. I think it's okay But it's also foolish to just be a nationalist and to just be, you know, jingoist and all this. So, yeah, I'll agree. Our race has many superior qualities compared with other races. I disagree. Do I strongly disagree? Um, Okay, well, I definitely disagree. And I really don't like this whole attitude about race at all in general. Um, I also really despise the self-flagellation these days by white people, generally speaking, generically speaking, you know, like white people are so lame. Like this whole attitude is really pathetic to me. So I don't want to emphasize too strongly that I'm against being okay with yourself and recognizing qualities. I don't know if there are qualities that, you know, apply to an entire race. So that's a little weird already to me, but disagree, strongly disagree. I guess I'll strongly disagree because I have never felt inclined to feel superiority to other races. That's for sure. I think it's stupid. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. No, I disagree with that. Um, You know, I think that alliances should be built and all this, but that logic is not totally clear to me because I don't define myself with my enemies for one. Okay, Uh, military action that defies international law is sometimes justified. I am compelled to disagree. Uh, I value international law as a concept. I don't value military action as a concept, but I can imagine situations in which a local group might need to defend itself, but that's probably okay in international law. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with this one. I'll strongly disagree. I I think that international law is a great idea that we should be pushing. I don't know what those laws always are, but in general, we need a good code of conduct for the planet. And to act violently 
through military action is uncalled for, generally speaking. There is now a worrying fusion of information and entertainment. Definitely, I'll strongly agree. My last podcast, or several even, have been about this topic, and it's something I care about a lot as a student of media. Okay, that went pretty quick. Next page. All right. Now the economy. We're talking attitudes here, not the FTSE index. (laughs) Okay. People are ultimately divided more by class than by nationality. Absolutely. We really miss the mark on this one with modern politics. The Democratic Party and the U.S. in general, I just have to say this, has really lost its way because we get so focused on superficial markers of a person like their race or their sex, uh, and we forget all about class. And I much, I would much rather have, you know, I'm listening to this great book right now by Matt Taibbi called Hate, Inc., and he's talking about the journalist class the people that become journalists and it's their job to report on Washington DC or big banks or whatever. And he's noticed this trend where journalists, it's true, used to be like white men, generally speaking. And that was kind of a problem, but they were of a different class than the people they reported on. And this gave them an adversarial investigative goal you know they wanted to expose corruption they wanted to reveal the truth to the people generally speaking it was a more blue collar work it was more um you know an honest days kind of work and now the journalist class has become more diverse to be sure in terms of you know inborn features but it's become more similar in class to the people they report on. So, you know, how can we trust our journalists as well when they're schmoozing at cocktail parties with the very politicians and bankers that they're supposed to be revealing as corrupt? So I just think that class is so overlooked as a concept. We don't think about this at all. We're not thinking about it in terms of reparations. We're not thinking about it in terms of uh, who we let into universities and elite positions it's it's the people who have been disadvantaged economically that need the most help it's not a suburban black boy you know like that's not who needs help specifically it's the class that matters and i just think that this has just been totally overlooked and bernie sanders was such a cool candidate i like elizabeth warren too because they focus a little more on this and then they get attacked (laughs) for being white so dumb Okay, end of rant. Controlling inflation is more important than controlling unemployment. I don't know. Um, Maybe, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about unemployment and how it works in terms of who's counted. And, you know, I think it's a problem if too many people are idle and not earning money not making a living. I think that's a problem. But inflation, like when I see news footage of countries like Venezuela at the moment, uh, where they, you know, it takes millions and millions of currency value, whatever, to buy bread and stuff like that. That's awful. Like that's when a country is really screwed. So 
Unemplo- high unemployment is also bad, obviously, but hmm. I don't know. I, I wish I could stay neutral on this because I it's it it challenges my economic understanding too much. But I think I want to ing- agree. I mean, being unemployed is not the end of the world so long as you're taken care of in some way, so long as your basic needs can still be met. Technically, not having a job is not a problem. But inflation and stagflation and this kind of stuff is horrible for a society. Um, obviously, some inflation is fine and we live through that. Okay. Um because corporations cannot be trusted to voluntarily protect the environment, they require regulation. Strongly agree. Definitely. I'll speak a little bit to this. Um, I want to think about global warming and climate change and all that. Uh, I just want to say that this is something we should be dealing with, even if the naysayers have a point. You know what I mean? Like, even if the world, if the globe is naturally heating up on its own, even if human involvement doesn't affect the planet that badly, or if, you know, Mother Nature will survive, it's humans that might die off or whatever. Like, whatever the arguments are to ignore uh, global warming or climate change, I still think it's important to regulate what corporations do to the environment in terms of wasting water, in terms of polluting uh, water sources and the air. Like, just for our own sake, you know, if you look at cities like Beijing and how polluted the air is, even Los Angeles, I would like the air cleaner, you know? I want to live in a nicer place. I want my environment to be nicer. And it's corporations that are to blame for all of this pollution, and waste. It's not on the individual to deal with that stuff. It's on corporations and we need to regulate them. It's really important to do that. And I don't understand. I think we're missing the plot there too. Um, Like with the climate change debate, we're focused on, you know, ignorant idiots denying science. That's not the point. I don't care if people deny science or don't understand science. I don't care about that at all. I don't care about voters that whatever side with companies. I care about our politicians and our elected officials regulating companies for our own sake. You know, like I want to get a more, I want more fuel efficiency in a car, even if climate change wasn't our fault. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like an, a better thing to do. Less packaging just seems better. You know, I don't like the waste in my own apartment if boxes pile up, let alone in a landfill or, you know, killing dolphins or something. So to me, it's just really important to regulate the amount of production and how we produce things. And I, I do think that corporations our profit, I don't think, I know that corporations are profit motivated first and foremost. So uh, their effects on the environment are not on the, at the forefront of their mind, which is where government must step in. Okay. Quote, from each according to his ability to each according to his need is a fundamentally good idea. Well, I do like it. I do like it. I've been very hard on Karl Marx the last few years because I think that 
he's been a great critic of capitalism, but he hasn't exactly created a, a great alternative in communism or Marxism. I think Marxism is an extremely flawed line of thinking. But fundamentally, I do think it's a good idea. From each, according to his ability, to each, according to his need. Okay, let me break that down. I, I'm making sense of it here. From each person, we take what he can give. And to each person, we give what she needs. Yes, I totally agree. I think that we all kind of, we must give to the world, to our societies, what we can. Uh, (laughs) I've been thinking about this a lot lately for myself. Like I would call um, myself a unrealized potential kind of person i have more to give than i am giving and i want to give more i need to give more to my planet and to my people because it's just it's a shame not to and i think everybody needs to step up take on personal responsibility and make their way in the world whatever however they see fit it's important for people to find their calling to realize what their purpose is in life. Like this is stuff that I actually believe in a lot these days. It's hard. It's really hard, but I like that stuff a lot. And I think that's what Karl Marx was getting at. Like according to your ability, give, you know, like provide uh, value into the world through your work. And on the other side of that to each person, according to that person's need, we have to take care of each other. We have to provide what people need. We have to nurture them. We have to feed them and shelter them, especially like a, a child or a baby is the obvious example. Parents have a natural inclination to do that. And I think that societies need to do that in general for everybody, for themselves, for everyone. And I love this. I think it's actually a great, I, I'm going to strongly agree because I actually love what Karl Marx is saying here. I just think it's a, it's it's flawed to assume that people will do that on their own. Like I'm not going to find my tap into my unrealized potential just sitting here by myself. Like I need to be cajoled a bit and um, society needs to scrutinize me and to challenge me. And I still have my needs, and if those are just provided for free, that's not good necessarily. That is the main knock against universal basic income, a policy I really favor, but it does leave a problem of what will people do with their lives, their days, if they're given everything they need. So that's a balance that we have to figure out. Uh, I don't think that each person will rise up to her ability on her own. That's where the profit motivation comes, where competition incentives come from. And I think that that is valuable. And I think a lot of communists and Marxists ignore that fundamental aspect of humanity that capitalism does exploit quite well. Okay, next point. The freer the market, the freer the people. (sighs) Okay, I disagree I can make arguments on both sides really fast before I click strongly disagree or disagree. Um, The reason I don't agree, okay, a way to agree would be to look at something like Mexico versus Los Angeles. 
if you go to Latin America and countries, almost all of them, but looking at Mexico specifically, the neighbor to LA through California, any person can go to a shop, buy a bunch of toys, uh, lay out a blanket on a sidewalk and put those toys on the, on the ground at a marked up price. And that is a living. Like a lot of people will do that to make a living. They'll have just a, you know, a hustle on the sidewalk. And if you've traveled to developing countries, you've seen that. And that was illegal in Los Angeles until recently. And I don't know if it's good or bad, you know, I think it, it, it has negative possibilities in terms of uh, health and safety, in terms of consumer protections. Um, but fundamentally, the people are freer. A struggling person has the ability to earn some money and feed herself if she can sell fruit on the corner. And that is a free market. That is like the as free as a market gets. So on that, in that sense, it's true that a free the freer market, the freer the people. But of course, the reason I disagree is that very open, laissez-faire capitalist markets open the door for tyrannical corporations, and corporations can be tyrannical. There's evidence of that throughout Latin America, through the Reagan 80s, through NAFTA and Clinton's 90s, um, an influx of immigration and a crash of um, far- the farming economy in Mexico. Um, you know, when you when you deregulate everything and make people, quote, free, that means corporations can come in and do what they want. And they have a lot of leverage. They have a lot of capital. They have a lot of sway. And... This is very oppressive to a lot of people, a lot of places. So, yeah, that worries me more than getting, uh, you know, food poisoning off the sidewalk from buying a kind of sketchy piece of fruit or something. So I think I'll strongly disagree on that one. Okay, it's a sad reflection in our society that something as basic as drinking water is now a bottled, branded consumer product. Strongly agree. Land shouldn't be a commodity to be bought and sold. Hmm. I'm pretty neutral on this. I, I want to agree it shouldn't be a commodity, but I don't know what else it could be. Like, what else could it be? I don't think anybody should just be able to take over my apartment just because this land is not mine. You know what I mean? Like I, I believe in property in the end. I've learned this about myself. It's a, it's been a hard thing to admit, but I do believe in property and land is almost the most basic form of property. You know, all, all other property goes on to it. The human body could also be a, a considered a basic property like my property my own self but we don't really like to think of it like that land it's also awkward to think about it like that but i don't know who else would be controlling land if it wasn't possible to buy it or sell it you know i mean otherwise it's being taken by force you know like it'll be a might makes right world if you don't use an intermediary like money 
I think that's what people, that's what critics of capitalism fail to realize. If you have a system, like look at the 2020 summer in Seattle and the CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, or the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest Zone. This was like proudly proclaiming no police, no ownership, no money. And inside reports revealed it to be chaos and dangerous with shootings and violence taking place there with no accountability. You assume that everybody will just treat you really nice and fairly all the time. And that's just not the case. That's just never been the case ever in history, ever, except for the Garden of Eden or something. So I think people just forget why we have systems that we have, laws and, you know, a state monopoly on violence through the police and military and why we have ideas of property and commerce. Like this protects you. This protects the vulnerable, weak, physically weak people. This protects women. This protects children. And this protects uh, all of us through handshake agreements and signatures and stuff. You know, like this is... In, in the end, the best, worst system we have. So I'm actually going to disagree on this, even though it's hard. But yeah, this is my libertarian sense. I want the freedom to exist on my picnic area without somebody saying, hey, this isn't yours. You can't just lay your blanket down on this patch of grass and claim it. <laughs> yes, I can. Okay. That, you know, having said that, my mind is going in all sorts of directions. Like, um, I want to write an allegory, like a, a short story like that or something. But fundamentally, we have to honor property. Now, that word we have to maybe play with and define better. But anyways, I'm going to move on. It is regrettable that many personal fortunes are made by people who simply manipulate money and contribute nothing to their society. Yeah, it is regrettable. Protectionism is sometimes necessary in trade. Yeah, it probably is sometimes necessary. I mean, I think it I I think so. I think so. That's when, you know, tariffs and embargoes and stuff are put on goods and services that are traded uh internationally, you know, like if you want to support your own building economy, you need to, you know, going back to the Mexican farmers like they were making a lot of corn and they weren't buying American corn because they were making their own. And then when NAFTA, when Clinton signed into NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, it flooded the Mexican market with way cheaper corn from America, from the U.S. And this was devastating. So they could have used some protectionism, for instance. The only social responsibility of a company should be to deliver a profit to its shareholders. <laughs> no, strongly disagree. I mean, if they phrase it like the only technical responsibility of a company, then maybe. But social responsibility, obviously not. Like, companies should have a social responsibility. They don't. That's why we need regulation. They have a responsibility insofar as it earns them consumers. So, you know, woke capitalism is an interesting thing happening now. Capitalist corporations that fundamentally hurt workers like McDonald's or, you know, whatever company you want to pick, they can like 
say Black Lives Matter or put a rainbow flag on their logo and they look socially responsible, but it's an act. It's just virtue signaling. It's just It's easy to look that way, but you're not doing it. Social responsibility would be to pay living wages, to, you know, not overwork to death your workers, to like let them... You know, like there's something happening at Tyson Chicken right now where COVID is running rampant and the managers are joking about the terrible conditions that the labor force is working in. And this is a labor force that's largely undocumented, for instance. And they're being sickened by it. It's terrible. So, yeah, that's not true. Companies need to be socially responsible and we need to make them that way if they aren't on their own. The rich are too highly taxed. Strongly disagree. (laughs) Those with the ability to pay should have access to higher standards of medical care. Hmm. Well, this is a tricky one. I think I'm going to agree. I don't want to agree, but the way the world works is that if something comes out, let's say a new product or let's say a new, um, yeah, in, in medicine, a new form of surgery, it's very hard to democratize that for everybody right away. You need... R&D. You need to re- you need to fund that research and development and you do that through um well a lot of ways of course, you know, but also another way that you do it primarily is by charging a lot for it. And it makes sense that there ha- there is some sense to the fact that anything in a marketplace starts off with an extremely high value because it takes takes a lot to develop anything before mass producing it. And the people that have the money are able to democratize it eventually. This is where trickle-down kind of works. I mean, look at Tesla, you know. Elon Musk's idea was to make a really awesome car that cost a lot of money and make it really desirable to rich, rich people and to sell that first model of the Tesla in order to fund the second model, which was a step down in terms of price, uh, slightly less luxurious. And then he finally was able to make the third model, which has become affordable to more middle-class people. And that's kind of how a lot of things work. So in a way, well, yeah, I've said what I need to say. Um, So those with the ability to pay should have access to higher standards of medical care. I mean, I don't like the wording of that at all, but, you know, let's remind ourselves that, uh, you know, this test did tell me not to scrutinize the wording of this, but I do wonder what they really mean here. Everyone needs access to medical care. It should be a human right. It needs to be affordable, if not free. Anybody should be able to get their broken leg fixed or get on painkillers if they're suffering terribly. So should there be a higher access than that? Well, I don't know if there should be, but I accept that there is, and I accept that people that have the means make it so. Next, governments should penalize businesses that mislead the public. I agree. A genuine free market requires restrictions on the ability of predator multinationals to create monopolies. A genuine free market requires restrictions. That's already funny. Uh, on the ability of predatorial, um, (laughs) well, I'm happy that there are restrictions. I worry about predator multinationals. I worry about monopolies, 
This first part of the question confuses me. A genuine free market. I don't care if it's a genuine free market. I don't care about genuine. I don't care about free market that much. I care equally about fair market. This is weird. You know, I don't know where, I don't know which side of uh, the line this is going to put me on, depending on how I answer this. So I want to get it right. Um, A genuine free market requires restrictions on the ability of these companies to make monopolies. Okay, right. So I guess I agree. I mean, it's not a free market if there's a monopoly. If there's a huge game in town and you can't enter that, that trade, because of monopoly, then how free is that market really? So yes, a genuine quote free market must prevent monopolies so that anybody can get into it. That's what makes it free. The accessibility should make it free. Okay, I talked myself through that one. All right, that was a lot slower. Let's see if I can pick up the pace here. Now look at some of your social, personal social values. Abortion, when the woman's life is not threatened, should always be illegal. Strongly disagree. All authority should be questioned. Strongly agree. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Disagree. Do I want to strongly disagree with that? It is quite barbaric, but the principle is kind of there in terms of um, punishment fitting the crime. So I'll just disagree. Taxpayers should not be expected to prop up any theaters or museums that cannot survive on a commercial basis. Disagree. Um, I think that taxes should fund the arts, definitely. <laughs> I say that with bias, of course. Schools should not make classroom attendance compulsory. I disagree. I'm, you know, I believe in libertarian principles of not forcing people to do anything. But the caveat here is that I don't think children are fully autonomous citizens. I think... A structured education system is so important to a society that it does make sense that we force kids into school. And I remember thinking as a student at the time, like, this is so weird. Like, I have to do this? Like, what? Like, this is life? But it made sense at the same time. Like, what would be the alternative? It's like homeschooled kids are weirdos. And it's why I I feel so badly right now in this time of COVID. Like, I feel so bad for students of all ages that miss out on what school provides which is so so much all people have their rights but it is better for all of us that different sorts of people should keep to their own kind huh it's kind of a separate but equal argument well i like the first part all people have their rights that's good i hope that's true but it's better for all of us that different sorts keep to their own kind. <sighs> I disagree, but I don't strongly disagree. And I'll tell you why. I am a world citizen. I'm a, the kind of person with a certain psychological persuasion to mix and blend everywhere and experience many things and travel and you know, do a lots of stuff. And I like cosmopolitan, diverse places, but a lot of people don't. And even cosmopolitan people around the world, like in Tokyo or Sao Paulo, still prefer their kind. 
speaking their language, for instance. And people do get along better with others that look like them, act like them, share their interests. So it is better in terms of nation building or group in-grouping to relate to everybody. Like that's why we all find, we all seek out our own tribes. We've gotten very loose with how we define tribe, which I think is cool, you know, like cinema nerds, book clubs, you know, foodies, like, okay, that's cool. Like it makes sense that foodies stick with foodies and junk food addicts stick with junk food. You know what I mean? Like there's some sense to it. Now, obviously the Adolf Hitler, Richard Spencer, nationalist variety of that is bad. It seems really bad. It seems less bad when it's in a movie called Black Panther, but it's still bad. Like in grouping to that level of severity is awful. So this is one of the most complicated things in our time that we have to be thinking. I don't even know if we have to be thinking about like, there's not a lot of Yugoslavia is happening right now. The balkanization of, of nations of, of states based on nationhood nationality. But it's an interesting question because I don't think we're, we admit enough how true it is that we all get along better with people like us. It just depends on how we define that, you know? And it is sad if people are just defining their themselves based on their race. Like that's stupid. Good parents sometimes have to spank their children. I don't see why. Uh, it's natural for children to keep some secrets from their parents. Yes. Possessing marijuana for personal use should not be a criminal offense. Strongly agree. The prime function of schooling should be to equip the future generation to find jobs. I disagree. I mean, I just don't like that. I, I can imagine it, but not like that. I think the prime function of schooling should be to equip the future generation to think and learn. Finding a job could be described as an extension of that. Like if you learn who you are and what your purpose is, and if you think through what you can offer the world and you can think in a really specific way that fits into a certain kind of job. Okay. Then yes, like you should be able to find a job after school, I think. But I don't like this manufactured industrial aspect of schooling. I think we need to be teaching to the students and to the heart and the mind about how to learn and process information and get excited about acquiring knowledge and also socializing. So I actually might strongly disagree if I'm going to read the question in that way. People with serious inheritable disabilities should not be allowed to reproduce I got into a big argument with a friend over this topic. She thought I was some sort of eugenicist when I brought this idea up as an idea, not as an idea I support, but just as a controversial idea. And it is controversial, obviously. I don't know what to say about this. I guess my answer is, of course, we cannot limit people. Um, I disagree because I think it's a tragedy if we don't let people do what they do, you know? 
That said, I can see the argument. Like we all can imagine a world in which everybody is smarter because stupid people don't reproduce as much. You know what I mean? Like in your more vulnerable, honest moments, you feel that way, I'm sure. But of course, like I'm not going to be the one to tell somebody that they can't reproduce. Ugh. Okay. The most important thing for children to learn is to accept discipline. Strongly disagree. There are no savage and civilized peoples. There are only different cultures. <laughs> there are no savage and civilized peoples. There are only different cultures. Well, that's a really complicated question. Should I go into it? I guess for the purposes of just explaining my perspective these days a little bit, I will say that I disagree. Um, of course, there is a way to just say it like that. Like, these are just different cultures. The medieval times were just different cultures. You know, drawing and quartering a human body with four horses, pulling him limb from limb. That's just a different culture of punishment. Okay, it's probably technically true, but it's also savage. <laughs> I would describe that. That is uncivilized. Even to use a guillotine in order to cut someone's head off for punishment seems uncivilized to me. So, in today's, you know political international discussion this is an issue with some cultures that practice honor killings female genital mutilation whatever and i'm not ready to just accept that as a different culture i would rather reform that to a more enlightened humane 21st century sensibility so i disagree do i strongly disagree well how much do I believe in civilization? How valued do I make, you know, ending the death penalty, allowing abortion? These are questions of civility. And if you believe those, you might think it's savage to adhere to a fundamentalist religious view of it, wouldn't you? And I think I'm on that side of it. So yeah, I strongly disagree. Those who are able to work and refuse the opportunity should not expect society's support. Hmm. Maybe. I agree. Freeloaders, the welfare states, how much should society support people just for the sake of it? Um, I do think it's a problem, probably. I mean, I think it's important that we support people. But yeah, if you're able to work and refuse the opportunity, that's probably bad. <sighs> it's way more complicated than that. Um, I have My sympathies do go with people taking the free check versus the job because work is so flawed these days but philosophically i think it's wrong to do that when you are troubled it's better not to think about it but to keep busy with more cheerful things hmm. i disagree i you know it's funny i the way i live my life is that i strongly disagree like i think it's very important to introspect and seek therapy and to talk things through with friends and family and to really meditate on your issues but having said that i wish <laughs> that i could just keep busy with more cheerful things i think it would be better in a way but i guess i do believe in the way i live and that i'm introspective so yeah i disagree but there is something to be said for the ignorance is bliss side of things first generation immigrants can never be fully integrated without within their new country Maybe not. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't... I don't believe one way or the other. I am agnostic. I am happy to look at the evidence and to consider the differences, the reasons why people don't feel fully integrated, the things that really keep people back. I mean, what we're seeing now is more of a problem with second-generation immigrants rebelling against their new country or their born country. Um, You know, most terrorist organizations are developed by second-generation Islamicists. So what do you want to, what can we say about that? Um, I don't care about this question. I think the point is to integrate. Um, so if I say that I agree, am I saying that integration is pointless or am I saying that, yeah, we should work harder? You know what I mean? I don't know about this. But I guess I will disagree. I think there is a way that I could become fully integrated into Germany as an immigrant, as an immigrant, if I defined myself that way. There's kind of a way. I would have to really learn the language, and I don't know if I could really, I, I don't know. I can't be German. I can never be German. So maybe I agree. What's good for the most successful corporations is always, ultimately, good for all of us. <laughs> Strongly disagree. No broadcasting institution, however independent its content, should receive public funding. I like public broadcasting. I think it's flawed at the moment. It has too biased an agenda. I believe in objective reporting and facts and um, journalism and media that's untainted by capitalism. I don't know if we have that. I think we, I don't, yeah, it's a problem, but I, I disagree. I strongly disagree. I want the arts to be funded. Okay. Our civil liberties are being excessively curbed in the name of counterterrorism. I strongly agree with that. Specifically at airports. <laughs> uh, a significant advantage of a one-party state is that it avoids all the arguments that delay progress in a democratic political system. Um, how do we define progress? I mean, it's true that like Mao had the great leap forward and Stalin had the five-year plan and these, these one-party systems do accomplish a lot that could be described as progress, but at what cost? Massive human cost is what? So do I admit that one-party systems or even let's say like Joe Biden controlled the Senate and Congress? and courts, if it was all one party, okay, you could get a lot done. But how do you know that that's all, quote, progress? So I just, I disagree with the premise. I think it's really important to have dissent from all sides and for things to move a little slower, because even if it's all my agenda being pushed through, if it's too fast, I don't know if that's good. I mean, I guess if you do it, and then you look back at it, and you play around with it and reform it that's cool but i've seen in history too much where something happens and it's done and it's bad and you it was rushed into um so i'm gonna disagree although the elect the electronic age makes official surveillance easier only wrongdoers need to be worried 
I never thought I would say this, but I think I agree. Like, I am caring less and less about my personal privacy. And I'm definitely not worried about the state. I'm not worried about the USA government or the German government spying on me and what they would do with that information. Because I think charges like espionage and treason and being an enemy of the state and all this is like not happening. Um, if that was really at the tip of our tongues as an, as an issue, then I would be more concerned, but instead it's more like the things that I'm worried about are woke corporations or businesses or individuals scanning my Facebook or Instagram or Twitter for cancelable statements and you know maybe invading my privacy or whatever to to dig for this kind of muckraking for like personal vendetta or um, purity testing but it's not governments it's not governments that do that it's corporations to whom we already give our information and it's not even them they don't actually generally punish us they punish witch hunts they punish like twitter will ban somebody not just because of some policy infringement but because a mob is asking for their head and then twitter will say oh yeah yeah you've gone too far with your transphobia or something and that's what i worry about and then when i think about the other side of it like what am i worried about the porn i look at you know like i look at porn i even collect it i love porn (laughs) i love pictures of women and i'm not afraid of that like i used to maybe be a little more insecure about that and a little more self-conscious but now i just own my interests and they're legal they're fine you know they're not that weird at all so what's the problem versus if they were really weird and demented and hurt people like kids i would want some agency to surveil that and stop it And when we obsess about freedoms for privacy, we are protecting sex traffickers. So I do worry. Like, I think there's a good point for surveillance. Terrorist plots, for sure, but also even more insidious is, like, the massive amounts of of, uh, child pornography, for instance. Uh, Yeah, so that's a tricky line to walk. Um... I don't know what to say here. I, I, I don't know if I agree or disagree because I just think I I really do appreciate the liberty angle that all of us deserve privacy. But to what end? You know, like how much privacy can we really honestly expect? Like I actually would rather have a window in my bathroom even if like I don't want it to be right up against somebody else's living room window across the street or across the alley or next door. Because obviously it's a little weird if someone's spying into my bathroom. But if there's a street between us and it's across the way, uh, maybe like a big field between us ideally, and they could technically use a telephoto lens or telescope, binoculars to spy in on me, so be it. Like I want a window, you know? I want an open window. So... I don't know. I guess I just feel like our paranoia can get the best of us 
I don't feel really limited in my liberties and my personal liberties if my information is tracked. I just don't feel that way. But for people that really feel that way, I relate. I, 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 I'm on your side in terms of personal and civil liberties. But I just also think there's a point that we want to surveil for some things. The death penalty should be an option for the most serious crimes. Uh, I'm against it, but I'm not losing too much sleep if a really heinous person gets killed by the state anymore. I used to make a really big deal out of that. Now, like even Osama bin Laden, I would have preferred trial. I don't like that he was like shot and buried at sea straight away. Like, I don't even know if I believe it. Like, there's no... like. I'm not satisfied with that conclusion, just being told by Obama that that happened and that everyone cheers. Like, okay. Um, I don't care anymore about this, but I'm still going to say disagree because I don't appreciate the state killing people. In a civilized society, one must always have people above to be obeyed and people below to be commanded. Huh, I disagree. That's that's a weird way to phrase it. I don't so I don't fetishize hierarchies. <laughs> I think they naturally occur. I think that makes sense. I think they're productive and we fall into them easily, but I don't fetishize them. I I love co-ops. I love bands. I love teams. I love co-writing and co-producing and collaborating. Even if I do want to be a leader or have my vision and be at the top of this hierarchy, I like that too. I like it even more if I'm honest, but I don't think it's necessary. Abstract art that doesn't represent anything shouldn't be considered art at all. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's it's funny. Art is such a funny topic. I should just talk about art at some point on this podcast, having gotten a master's degree in it um i kind of agree actually like i think that we've gotten crazy with what we allow as art but even the most awful stupid looking messy junk art still does represent something if you read the artist's statement it still does represent something the chaos in the world or whatever it's challenging the forms of you know you know in postmodernism or something so if it doesn't represent anything then yeah it's not art because art has it art weds form and concept and if you have no concept if you have no idea it's not art it's craft it's design but it's not art so it's funny because like i actually wonder how this test will grade me I'm an artist. I make images that mean something. They're not just for the sake of a sky. The sky means something, you know? And yet it's like in vogue to say like, oh, who are you to say what is representative or what is meaning? Like, yeah, okay, we can have those airy-fairy arguments that go nowhere. But the point is that good artists know what they're trying to communicate. And art does serve that purpose of speaking to our soul. And it can't do that if there's no meaning there. I better pick up the pace here. In criminal justice, punishment should be more important than rehabilitation. Disagree strongly. It is a waste of time to try and rehabilitate some criminals. Probably true. It's probably true. 
uh, psychopaths are very hard to rehabilitate. They should just be locked up, basically, but not tortured or punished excessively. The business person and the manufacturer are more important than the writer and the artist. Strongly disagree. Or rather, yeah, I strongly disagree. I strongly disagree. Mothers may be, may have careers, but their first duty is to be homemakers. Oy vey. Um, I agree, guys. I mean, it's weird phrasing, their first duty. I mean, motherhood is... If you have respect for motherhood, as I think we all do, you have to prioritize it over a job, some random job. A career, okay, more important. How many people that have careers really love them and derive all life meaning from them? That's a real question. How many people can do that? It's rare when someone is so obsessed with their work that it's their be-all and end-all. Parenthood is way more meaningful to most people. And motherhood especially, carrying a child in their womb, feeding it, nurturing it. Yes, men can help. I shouldn't get too far into this. I've spoken about this before in my feminism podcast. But I value and respect motherhood. And I would want to be with a woman that felt the same and didn't try and put her career over it. Multinational companies are unethically exploiting the plant genetic resources of developing countries. Yeah, probably. Making peace with the establishment is an important aspect of maturity. Well, I think I'm maturing because I do agree with that. You have to make some peace with it. It doesn't mean you have to accept all of it. It doesn't mean that you have to hate protests. But to protest everything is a waste of time. Pick your reform. Okay, I'm going to try and rush through these last two pages because I usually do these for an hour and we're hitting an hour. But I do want to finish this. If you got through that okay, you'll find these propositions on religion a breeze. Great. Astrology accurately explains many things. Strongly disagree. (laughs) You cannot be moral without being religious. Strongly disagree. Charity is better than social security as a means of helping the genuinely disadvantaged. Huh. I disagree, though I I like the idea. I'd like to talk that through more. Uh, some people are naturally unlucky. I do agree with that. I strongly agree with that. Luck is real. Luck is definitely real. It is important that my child's school insists instills religious values. No, it's not important that my child's school instills religious values. Ridiculous. Finally, I look at sex. Sex outside marriage is usually immoral. Strongly disagree. A same-sex couple in a stable, loving relationship should not be excluded from the possibility of child adoption. Should not be excluded. Strongly agree. Pornography depicting consenting adults should be legal for the adult population. Strongly agree. What goes on in a private bedroom between consenting adults is no one's business of the state. Is no business of the state. Strongly agree. No one can feel naturally homosexual strongly disagree i mean that's a weird question i disagree these days openness about sex has gone too far well i actually might agree there but not i'm not sure i'm not sure um that is worth talking about more that is really worth talking about more i think that I have to make a point about sex here. 
I and my next podcast is about sex, so I, I I'm tempted to save it, but I think I will say it here. Sex is used for procreation, obviously. Sex is used for pleasure, obviously. But there's another and okay, between those two things, the religious people that think it's only for procreation and only between husband and, uh, husbands and wives are wrong. And I'm glad that we don't live in those times generally anymore. The people that view it as pleasure are right that it's fun and pleasurable. Um, But I do think that casual sex is too casual for too many people and that it's hard for a lot of us to process it properly. Sex, I think, and, you know, the bonobos and anthropologists who study this topic will say this. Sex is a bonding activity. It bonds us to each other. That's by and large why we do it. It brings people closer together. Now, obviously, a husband and wife want to be be closer together, but it's not exclusive to husbands and wives. People in general should feel closer together, and sex is a way to do that, and that's good. And when we go too far with the pleasure side of it, um, we also lose that value. We we try we we somehow deprive the meaning from it and it should have meaning. So we use it to sell everything because we love it and we will buy things that are attached to it. And that is difficult and it does shame people of different body types. It does prioritize beauty standards. Things things happen inevitably because there are those things such as beauty standards. But yeah, we might be going too far. I'd be willing to hear that out. But I'm going to disagree because because I don't think that's true around the world. And yeah. Okay, guys, I'm done. I'm done. So now we can talk about this. Here we go. In the introduction, we explained the inadequacies of the traditional left-right line. If we recognize that this is essentially an economic line, it's fine as far as it goes. We can show, for example, Stalin, Mao, Zedong, and Pol Pot with their commitment in to a totally controlled economy on the hard left. Socialists like Mahatma Gandhi and Robert Mugabe would occupy a less extreme leftist position. Margaret Thatcher would be well over to the right, but further right still would be someone like that ultimate free marketer General Pinochet. That deals with economics, but the social dimension is also important in politics. That's the one that the mere left-right scale doesn't adequately address. So we've added one, ranging in positions from extreme authoritarian to extreme libertarian. Both an economic dimension and a social dimension are important factors for proper political analysis. By adding the social dimension, you can show that Stalin was an authoritarian leftist, i.e. the state is more important than the individual, and that Gandhi, believing in the supreme value of each individual, is a liberal leftist. While the former involves state-imposed arbitrary collectivism in the extreme top left, on the extreme bottom left is voluntary collectivism at regional level, with no state involved. Hundreds of such anarchist communities existed in Spain during the Civil War period. You can also put Pinochet, who was prepared to sanction mass killing for the sake of the free market, on the far right, as well as in a hardcore authoritarian position. On the non-socialist side, you can distinguish someone like Milton Friedman, who is anti-state for fiscal rather than social reasons, from Hitler, who wanted to make the state stronger even if he wiped out half of humanity in the process. 
The chart also makes clear that despite popular perceptions, the opposite of fascism is not communism, but anarchism, i.e. liberal socialism. And that the opposite of communism, i.e. entirely state-planned economy, is neoliberalism, i.e. extreme deregulated economy. This now shows a picture of the political compass. You have a left-right axis going from left to right, and then you have a top-bottom up-down axis with authoritarian on the top and libertarian on the bottom. And it puts Stalin in the top left, and it puts Milton Friedman in the bottom right, not in the far bottom, though. And it puts Gandhi in the libertarian left quadrant and Margaret Thatcher in the authoritarian right. The usual understanding of anarchism as a left-wing ideology does not take into account the neoliberal anarchism championed by the likes of Ayn Rand, Milton Friedman, and America's Libertarian Party, which couples social Darwinian right-wing economics with liberal positions on most social issues. Often their libertarian impulses stop short of opposition to strong law and order positions and are more economic in substance, i.e. no taxes. So they are not as extremely libertarian as they are extremely right-wing. On the other hand, the classical libertarian collectivism of anarcho-syndicalism, libertarian socialism, belongs in the bottom left-hand corner. In our homepage, we demolished the myth that authoritarianism is necessarily right-wing, with examples of Robert Mugabe, Pol Pot, and Stalin. Similarly, Hitler, on an economic scale, was not an extreme right-winger. His economic policies were broadly Keynesian, and to the left of some of today's labor policies. If you get Hitler and Stalin to sit down together and avoid economics, the two diehard authoritarians would find plenty of common ground. A word about neocons and neolibs. U.S. neoconservatives, with their commitment to high military spending and the global assertion of national values, tend to be more authoritarian than hard right. By contrast, neoliberals, opposed to such moral leadership and more especially the ensuing demands of the taxpayer, belong to a further right but less authoritarian region. Paradoxically, the freer market in neocon parlance also allows for the large-scale subsidy of the military-industrial complex, a considerable degree of corporate welfare, and protectionism when deemed in national interest. These are viewed by neolibs as impediments to the unfettered market forces that they champion. Your political compass. Economic left-right, negative 6.75. Social libertarian slash authoritarian, negative 5.59. I am <laughs> quite far left and quite libertarian. So that's that. Um, okay, just to reiterate here, I have taken this political compass test to demonstrate my bona fides that I am on the left, but more importantly to me, I am more libertarian. And... I want to make that clear. I take for granted being on the left. It's easy. It's obvious. It's how I've grown up. And most of us have grown up imagining the political sphere and conversation as a left-right divide. What I've tried to do on this episode is demonstrate how unhelpful that is and how there are so many more ways to measure something. This is adding one extra axis that I think is extremely important to add, which is authoritarianism versus libertarianism. And I, I fight authoritarianism. In this age of COVID, I have a lot of sympathy for anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers. I am not that. I am not that. But I really value personal freedoms 
and I really distrust and I'm skeptical of authoritarian measures, even when they're on the left, even when they're trying to do good, I just generally don't appreciate uh, state-run authority in the matters of personal liberties specifically. I appreciate state-run authorities very much in terms of regulating capitalism, in terms of regulating the market and providing roads, providing social services. I'm a leftist, but in terms of personal liberties, drug use, abortion, even gun rights, and free speech especially, I am staunchly libertarian. There are way more ways to measure one's politics. This is kind of an intro course on this topic to just broaden our collective minds on one extra access point. There are other political compass quizzes that define even more axes, up to 10 of them, up to more. And I do actually appreciate those even more because I do think ultimately, if we're going to talk about politics, which I am... (laughs) you know, prone to do, let's be honest, we have to take everything at its own face value. It's very hard to compare apples to oranges, in my opinion. I don't know why we have this idea that if I know your stance on abortion, I also know your stance on climate change, and I also know your stance on immigration. Like, those things are so different. Like, why would you have the exact same opinions as everyone else? They're not all left or right. And there's room for nuance here. Now, I've scored pretty far left and pretty far libertarian. Uh, I'm not sure if those measurements are correct, but I identify also with the center. Even though my opinions can be very strong and pointed in certain directions, I appreciate the nuance of every one of those conversations that I talked through. And... My point in making that clear is that these tests are difficult to measure because even though I might strongly agree with one principle, I might also understand the other and humanize people that make that argument. And I think that's another part problem we have in our partisan politics that we lose when we play these teams of left and right and up and down, etc. So there's a lot more to discuss here, but I've finished the quiz. I've I've made clear my stances, and I'm going to leave it there. Um, Rest assured, I'll be (laughs) broaching these topics here and there again, to be sure. But until then...